Good morning. Uh, I uh, was down at the uh, National Leaders Conference in Nottingham this week. I actually came back early because I was unwell, but uh, the time I did spend there uh, was... Uh, was absolutely fantastic, and uh, I bring news actually that the um, the vineyard churches across the UK and Ireland, which uh, was um, initiated, I don't know about 27, 28 years ago by uh, John and Eleanor Mumford, who we had teach here uh, last year, um, they are handing over the uh, the directorship to John and Debbie Wright, who lead the Trent Vineyard in Nottingham. Um, so there's, there's going to be a period of transition, uh, but it's very exciting. It's kind of like uh, the vineyard just sort of uh, entering into the next generation uh, of leadership. And, you know, uh, when John and Ellie started the vineyard movement in the UK, it was just them in a living room with a really bizarre electronic instrument for worship. Uh, and now it's uh, well over 100 churches across the UK and Ireland. Uh, so... God has blessed what they've done, and, uh, and now they've passed on the baton to John and Debbie Wright. So, uh, exciting things happening. I would like to begin this morning by reading you a letter that we received uh, in the office. We received it via one of the agencies through whom uh, all of the Christmas gifts that you and other churches purchased uh, were distributed, and we received this letter. It was handwritten uh, on, on some scraps of note paper, and it said this. Hello, St. Andrew's Churches. I just felt the need in me to say a heartfelt thank you for my bag of presents. I just got out of Victoria Hospital, Kirkcaldy, after a two-week stay. At this time of year, alone in a new but nice town, with all my family, friends, and especially my three kids being in other places, I was a bit down on life, and I did need a lift to cheer me up and drag me out of worry and managing my emotions at this time of year. So for me to find my gifts from the Friends of St. Andrew's Churches was a wonderful experience. It really was. Thank you very, very much. As it turns out, they were the only gifts I got. But I don't care. I wasn't forgotten about, as I did get from you. The way I was feeling was a bit mixed up. I managed to call upon my will to live, to survive my experience that put me in hospital. The hospital staff I have the utmost love and admiration for. They're beautiful people in a really hard job. I'm 50 years young now and obviously meant to be here for a reason or I would not have been given this chance to live. It is now up to me to improve my lot as no one else but me can do it for me. Today I really felt the need to write this note as my dear departed mum taught me my manners and will have a smile on her face knowing I still have my manners. So one huge, huge thank you very much for caring enough about me to include me on the gift list. It really did lift my emotions when, as I'm just out of hospital, my feelings needed lifted. St. Andrew's as a place is one of my favourites, so all in all, my presence had more than one reason to be very special to me. I love the feel of this hostel. The The staff are brand new. Cooper new to me, but feels like home. Now I've got a nice smile about my face and heart, knowing I was not forgotten about, thanks to the good people of St. Andrews. So once again, from the top, middle, and bottom of my heart, a very big thank you very, very much as you put a smile on my sad wee face and truly cheered me up and made my Christmas for me.
that's the end. Uh, so I, I wanted to just read that to you because it was addressed to the churches in St. Andrews. It's not fair that we in the office should just hear, be the only ones to hear that. And I just wanted you to hear that so that you know that when you contribute to Storehouse, however small a gift it is, you just don't know the impact you're going to have on somebody's life. It sounds like this particular person is just on the verge of uh, having had enough and, uh, and receiving that gift just gave them that little bit that they needed to stick around. So thank you and keep contributing. You just don't know the difference it can make on people's lives. We're going to read from the Bible today. If you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Acts chapter 16. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It's going to come up on the, on the screen and you can follow it. Starting at verse 11. That's Acts 16, verse 11. I'm going to read to 34. And this is uh, just the, the, the continuing tale of uh, the Acts of the Apostles or... Uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as you might uh, prefer to call it, uh, as written by Luke, um, just recording the events as they happened. So, hmm, maybe I picked it up from the ESV and not the... Never mind. I'm going to read from a different version, but never mind. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of somewhere that is unpronounceable. She was a seller of purple goods, and she was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own as much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that her hope, their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, 
and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So today I've been given a free topic to speak on, which I always find very difficult because you know, uh, the Bible has a great many things that are worth uh, reading and exploring. Uh, so I, I always struggle to know what to settle on, so I thought, why not speak about what, uh, what I spend most of my time thinking about, which is worship. And today I want to talk about worship that sets us free, and what actually happens, um, the dynamic of uh, the meeting that we have with the Holy Spirit as we worship. And I'm going to leave plenty of time at the end of this talk to, uh, to ask the Holy Spirit to kind of minister to whatever needs that we have. Um, but first, we're going to just, uh, just sort of pick apart some of this um, story, uh, these events in Philippi, uh, because in this short section, there's a number of lives that are just uh, impacted powerfully by um, the presence of God, just as the, the, the church, small as it is, uh, back in those days, uh, just goes about the business of worship, just goes about the business of seeking out uh, a place to gather, to worship, and even in prison, inviting the Holy Spirit and seeing power. So three segments we're going to look at. Uh, first, there's Lydia. Then second, uh, the person who we only know as the slave girl, uh, who has a spirit of divination. And third, the episode in prison. Now, Paul encounters Lydia when uh, he and his companions are going about Philippi, actually looking for a synagogue. And it turns out that uh, there are so few Jews in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, uh, that there is no synagogue. In fact, um, under, under the, uh, the rules uh, laid out for the establishment of a synagogue, you would actually require a minimum of 10 men uh, to, uh, to set that up. And as there uh, were not that number willing to uh, make that established place of worship, instead what they find is a small group of God-fearing women. And Lydia is, Lydia is among them, and she's described in two fascinating ways. One is as a seller of purple goods, and second, as a worshipper of God. And intrigued though I am by the purple goods, um, uh, I wonder if she sold Lois your hair dye. Um, uh, I think it's the uh, 
the description as a worshipper of God that is actually um, the thing that leads to her openness to actually hearing the gospel from Paul. Can we just look at verse yeah, 14 again? She was a worshipper of God. She was listening to us. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. I think that what happens when we worship God, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves into a place where we can more clearly hear the voice of God. Uh, In this book, which is brand new, this is a book by uh, Rick Williams, who used to pastor the Riverside Vineyard, out of which this church was planted. Um, It's called Uncomfortable Growth, and it speaks um, about uh, growth both on a personal level and on a a church level. I highly recommend it. Uh, But in it, he he says that while we understand worship is... uh, uh, worship through music and singing is not the sum total of our worship, but those experiences that we have as we worship through singing, they lead to a grateful awareness of God's presence, which in turn quickens our desire for him and sensitizes our spirits to hear his voice. And in Ephesians uh, Chapter 1, verse 18, Paul talks about it in terms of having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's just an awareness that comes about as we make ourselves available in worship. I, um, bit of a strange story, but um, I was doing some recording once, uh, just an um, acoustic worship CD, and um, there was a guy uh, producing it called Jimmy and a guy doing some uh, worship leading on it called Ronnie, both very good friends of mine. And uh, Ronnie was doing some vocal recordings for it and uh, Jimmy set up the microphone, which was just this uh, super expensive, uh, amazing microphone from America uh, called a Bock, for any of you microphone enthusiasts out there. Um, <laughs> Uh, seriously, we buy magazines and just go, whoa. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he sets up this microphone, and, and, uh, and, um, and Jimmy says to Ronnie, can you just give me some, uh, some singing just so that I can test, the, test that the signal is coming through nice and clear? And uh, Ronnie starts uh, singing, and Jimmy says, I've got this horrible crackling noise coming through on the microphone. I just need to change a couple of things. And so he replaces the cable with another cable just in case that's not working. He you know, changes a couple of things, you know, uh, uh, with the digital interface and all that sort of thing. But this crackling keeps coming through and Jimmy's looking at Ronnie and saying, I'm really sorry. I don't know. And then he stopped and he looked at Ronnie and he realized Ronnie was stroking his beard. <laughs> he has a magnificent beard. And... So can you just stop stroking your beard for a second? And of course, then the crackling stopped. <laughs> now, why am I telling you this story? <laughs> All right, this is, the, this is the tenuous spiritual link, right? Okay. Um, if you had just placed some kind of cheap condenser microphone in front of Ronnie, it wouldn't have been sensitive enough to pick up the sound 
of that beard stroking. You know, I couldn't hear it with my own ears, so you've got this microphone that is super, super sensitive, so sensitive that it can hear the sound of Ronnie stroking his beard. And I think that when we come to worship, what happens is we're transformed from a, from a, a microphone made by Beringer. Uh, for, for 50 pounds to a Bach microphone which costs about four or 5,000 pounds. We're super, super sensitized to hear things that we otherwise wouldn't hear because God sometimes he speaks in a whisper and we need to be able to hear it through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit as we come to worship. So remember, Bach, not Beringer. So that's Lydia, worshipper of God, seller of purple goods. The second event in Philippi is uh, this person we only know, we don't know her name, we only know her as a slave girl, and uh, she's described as doubly enslaved. She's, on the one hand, she's under the power of this malevolent spirit, uh, who, by the way, uh, clearly recognizes that Paul and co. are speaking truth, you know, um, it says in James that, uh, you know, even the demons believe in God, but they shudder in fear. And that's what's happening in here, is that this demon is recognizing who uh, Paul is and the power that he's speaking. And on the other hand, there are her human masters who are clearly uh, enjoying the financial gains of the wisdom Uh, that she seems to have, uh, but she is suffering uh, terribly and doubly enslaved. And last uh, semester, I wrote an essay on the doctrine of salvation uh, in which uh, I argued that a critical part of the gospel is God rescuing us out of slavery. Now, you might think, I've never been a slave, um, but the Bible recognizes many forms of slavery, from the enslavement of an entire nation uh, of Israel in Egypt, led out into the wilderness by Christian Baal, to the slaves uh, who are comfortable members of uh, affluent households, um, all the way to this poor young woman in Philippi. But all of these things are so far from us in time and in geography that they require some effort of the imagination to actually understand. But the Bible also speaks about a spiritual form of slavery that is a slavery to sin that every human being has experienced, knowingly or otherwise. I'm going to come back to that later on. But as I was studying this part of the Bible, I couldn't bring myself to brush away the issue of human slavery. People who enslave other people. And I have a bit of a problem here, because when I think of slavery, the images and concepts that come to mind are about 200 years old. Um, I think of books and films that I've read and seen that focus on the transatlantic slave trade, books like Amistad, uh, films like 12 Years a Slave or Amazing Grace. And those images form the predominant understanding um, that I have of slavery. And last night I watched the film Amazing Grace again. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I I highly recommend it. It's about William Wilberforce uh, bringing about the abolition 
of slavery in the UK. And uh, there's a moment there where he's, he's lying on the wet grass in his garden and he's praying. And his butler interrupts him and uh, he says to his butler, I've been a bit stranger than usual, haven't I? His butler says, uh, it's not my business to ask questions, sir. William Wilberforce says, the thing is, it's God. And the butler replies by asking, you found God, sir? And Wilberforce replies saying, I think he found me. Do you have any idea how inconvenient that is? <laughs> now, the inconvenient truth of the gospel is that it forces us to face up to injustice in the world. And uh, in response to this, and in seeking understanding, I reached out to my academic mother, who, though uh, 15 years my younger, at least, uh, knows a great deal more than I do about what modern contemporary slavery looks like. And I've asked her, if you could come now, I've asked her to, uh, just this morning, help paint a picture of what uh, the condition of, uh, of modern slaves actually is. And I was aware, as I was asking her, that also in Amazing Grace there's a scene where the preacher opens in a church with uh, a position of abolition uh, sympathy and the entire congregation walk up and step out. So... Um, I'd be grateful, of course, if you didn't do that. Um, but I am aware uh, that these are difficult issues, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's our responsibility as believers of the gospel and of desiring God's kingdom to come to know what is happening in the world around us. So, Becky, if you could. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with a few facts and figures. Um, You've got loads of them. So I apologise to people that do actually know quite a lot about this, um, if I'm repeating stuff for you. Um, so it is guesstimated that there are between 27 to 32 million people trafficked in the world today, um, and well, what is also called modern-day slavery. Um, roughly two-thirds of that is forced labour, so that's... Um, Predominantly in countries like India, where um, children as young as eight or nine are forced to work um, as slaves, and they're not paid and they're not like, fed very little, and there's, it's a very violent world as well. Um, but a third of that is a third of human trafficking is also sex trafficking, um, where children and women predominantly are exploited. Um, for prostitution and um, for sex. And so, um, as Jesse was talking about um, William Wilberforce and the slave trade, um, there's actually more slaves around the world today than there's ever been in history. Um, so it's very under wraps, and um, it's estimated that um, $32 billion is made annually in sex trafficking. Like, that's the profit that's made. Um, 1.2 million children are trafficked every single year, and 12 is the average age a child enters pornography or sex slavery in the United States. That's very young. <laughs> um, I'm just going to share a very typical story um, 
of a young girl who was trafficked um, within India. Her name is Mita. Um, and the story is, Mita was trafficked by her neighbor. She says that she was usually, usually alone at home and grew up as a quiet and lonely child. One day her friend was visiting, her neighbor, Nanjma, invited her to come home and eat with them. Her friend was very hungry and convinced Mita that it was a good idea. They went to the neighbor's home and started to feel completely out of control. She and her friend were drugged. They were then boarded onto a bus. Mita woke up the next morning and couldn't find her friend. Najma responded she would never come back. Mita was then picked up by a man and was told that she must entertain him and that he would take her home. The next day, the man took her to a house where she saw her friend. She stood quietly and expressionless for a few minutes and then burst out crying. She said that she'd been raped all night. Finally, I realized we girls were sold as commodities to the vicious desires of their customers. I cried my heart out, but no one heard me. I was brutally beaten up and starved without food for days. Um, so that's very typical of the third world. Um, and I think we can kind of imagine that where violence is pretty prevalent. Um, but it's also something that happens pretty commonly in the UK. And so I wanted to share one of those stories as well. Um, because that's kind of closer to home, I guess. Um, so, my name is Sophie. I grew up in the north of England in a small town. When I was 18, I became friends with a guy from Albania who was a web designer. He was a really lovely guy. Over a period of five years, we became good friends. He was there for me, and I could tell him anything. He was my best friend. I'd been really sick in hospital, and he visited me every day. To recover, he explained to me um, to go on holiday in France. Three days into our holiday, he sat me down one night and explained to me that he wasn't really a web designer, that everything that he told me was a lie. He said that he was in debt for over 100,000 euros from a drug deal that had gone wrong. He explained to me that I had no choice but to help him pay off his debt. He looked directly at me and said that the only way that he could pay off the debt was for me to work as a prostitute for him. At that moment, I was so scared, and it was like I was watching someone else. I couldn't believe it. Even though I was scared, I explained to him that I couldn't do it, that it wasn't who I was. At that moment, his face changed, and I knew I was in trouble. He grabbed me and slammed my head against the wall, beat me and threatened me with a gun. He demanded from now on that I obey him, that his word was law, and that he was like God to me. He threatened me, saying, if I ever told my family or asked for help, that he would kill my family, take my little brother and kill me. He forced me to sell sex on the streets in Italy and France. He would beat me regularly and threaten me with a gun. Just a word or look was enough to terrify me, to do what he said. Even when I was away from him, I was just scared just by the thoughts of him. I was stuck. So that's just to paint a bit of a picture. Um, but I didn't want to end on that. Um, there's, there's a really great documentary, if you're interested in looking into this, called um, Nefarious Merchant of Souls. And it's done by an organization called Exodus Cry, which is a Christian organization. And um, there's a lot of stories of hope in there, um, because I don't believe it's right for us to dwell on the evil and not know that God is sovereign and that we walk in hope. So I'm just going to share a little story of, um, of hope. And this is about a man called Ohad, who um, was a trafficker for 11 years, um, and just a little snippet of what he would say in his life um, as a trafficker. He said, you know, the first time, the second time, you feel uncomfortable and sorry for the girls. But after that, you just think, it's good money. Um, 
there's a numbing there and there's an element where he was captive to greed. Um, he was, yeah, a trafficker for 11 years, um, got radically saved. Um, Jesus broke in and he gave his life to him and decided to walk away from selling women, which actually is a massive risk. <laughs> he put his life on the line and pretty much had to go into hiding as a consequence of it. Um, but there's this really great, great quote that he finishes with. It says, I was a captive of one thing. She was a captive of another thing. But God wants to set the captives free. And there is this reality that not just these women are, in, are enslaved, but so are their traffickers. Um, they also need Jesus. Um, so, like, what, what do we do with that? Um, there's a charity called Free the Slaves, and the guy that founded it called Kevin Bales is this really great quote, which I think kind of sums up, really. Um, and he says, Being free means more than just walking away from bondage. Freedom is a condition both physical and mental, and liberation is a bitter victory if it leads only to starvation or re-enslavement. Um, we, have, we have a responsibility um, to, to act, and... I, I, I don't want this to be a kind of guilt trip, um, but more an empowerment thing. Um, I think we, we have the ability and the incentive to empower and shift culture and to make a difference and to stand up for slavery. Um, one of the ways we can do that is to buy ethically. If you're interested and want me to send you some links for websites and stuff about buying clothes ethically, because um, you might have heard in the news and stuff like that about... Um, shops like Primark that do exploit people um, and I would it's, it's difficult a lot of shops exploit and it's quite hard to find stuff that doesn't um, that is absolutely completely pure in it but there are also charities that are working against that um, and the second thing is pornography um, that massively impacts this it hugely um, fuels the sex industry and as a consequence, exploitation. Um, it drives a demand for sex trafficking. Traffic victims are exploited in the production of pornography. Pornography production is also a form of trafficking. Um, it happens so much. Um, but as I said, this isn't a feel guilty, but an empowerment. I really think that a huge role that we have as Christians is to shift culture. Um, you know, maybe that within the church we recognize it as an unhealthy thing. But outside the church, that's not necessarily true. But in knowing that actually what you're doing is exploiting other people and that it's bigger than you and that it affects them, um, that is something that we can share and that's something that we can affect the way that um, culture sees these women and the way in which 12-year-old girls are, are exploited in countries like India and in this country. Yeah. So. Thanks, Becky. That's, uh, that makes for some uh, uncomfortable hearing, right? Am I right? Uh, and uh, you probably didn't expect when I uh, read that passage of Acts that we would be talking um, about the condition of human slavery. But, um, but yeah, it's just something I, 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 I felt it's important that we address. And I, I can... Wow, I can already see the Holy Spirit moving on some of you that um, are affected by that story. And we're going to pray for, for some of you later. 
the, um, going back to the film Amazing Grace, the, uh, the, the song Amazing Grace um, was written by a man who uh, used to be uh, a slave trader. And uh, God just completely convicted him uh, that this was not a way that people ought to treat other people. The gospel isn't good news unless it upsets the kind of power structures that hold people under such bondage. And I know that there's going to be people here that feel specific, like Becky, who specifically feel called to, uh, to bring the power of God's kingdom into that whole world. And it needs people of God to do that. If you're hearing that call, uh, I want to pray. We want to pray with you at the end. But before we do that, just going to have a brief look at the, the prison scene at the end of that passage, because I want to I want to just bring this all together in terms of you know what does uh, what does worship have to do with all of this? Now the events of this scene pretty much speak for themselves, but I just want to point to the fact that where worship is taking place, there's a there's a touching of heaven and earth. And things change. When we sing, for example, the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. What we're really asking for is for God's kingdom to transform reality, to transform the world around us as we see it. When we pray, Holy Spirit, come, it's not to say that God is not already here, that God is not already present. But what happens is God desires relationship with us. God desires our entering into communion with him. And so when we pray and sing, Holy Spirit, come, what we're doing is we're saying to God, we desire you, we want you, we welcome you, we want to see your kingdom reign on earth as it is in heaven. In a moment, we're going to pray, not just for those people who feel called to minister to uh, minister into the world of human trafficking, but all of us suffer from some kind of bondage, whether it's... Um, depression, whether it's addiction, either to substances or, like Becky was saying, to pornography. I want to invite anyone here suffering from addiction to pornography to come and ask God into that situation. There is no shame, no judgment up here. There is only mercy and only freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I also want to talk about what happens after God releases us from whatever is holding us captive. Because like Becky said, uh, sometimes a slave can be released from one situation and just end up in a worse one. Uh, Sometimes you can fall out of the frying pan and into a fire. And 
somehow, somewhat paradoxically, the Bible, uh, Paul uses the language of slavery and he flips it upside down. And he talks about how when once we were slaves to sin, we instead become slaves to righteousness. He talks about being slaves to Christ. He even talks about being uh, slaves to one another. The fact is, right back in the Garden of Eden, we were made to serve and glorify God. And what happens when we don't do that is that because we were made to serve and glorify God and we put something else in its place, we end up serving and glorifying something else instead. And you can, you can, you can put worship in that sentence. If we were made to worship God, and if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. Whether it's money or success or popularity or any of those things. And just before we enter into ministry, uh, I just want to remind you of a word that Jacqueline brought. Uh, is Jacqueline here? I don't know. She brought us a word in, during the worship last week. Um, just about how when we come into the presence of God, we go out of that presence just uh, carrying his fragrance. You know, when you give somebody a hug and if they're wearing perfume, she said... You know, sometimes you go away from that contact, smelling of that other person. It's the same when we worship. When we enter into the presence of God, we leave that contact with God's fragrance on us. And that will impact the world around us. So, um, could I invite the band uh, to come back now? And... um, we're going to just um, why don't we all stand and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and then when I say go come forward whether uh any of those things uh, are things you want to address in the presence of God. Whatever kind of bondage you feel you're in, whatever kind of thing you feel holds you captive. Because I don't, I don't want uh, somebody to, uh, to feel as though they're uh, embarrassing themselves by walking forward for addiction to pornography. So let's just all do it together. Whatever, whatever it is that you're struggling with, let's all just come forward together. But for now, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. We're just going to sing for a moment before that happens. Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Just fall in the-